You're listening to the Relationship-Centered Learning Podcast, a podcast to inspire and empower you to be a difference maker in a dysfunctional educational system. Hear weekly from adults and students who are having a radical impact in the education space as they share from their minds and hearts, giving us practical tools that we can take back to our classrooms and campuses. Here to take you outside the educational box is author, disruptor, and your host, Kevin Curtis. Hey everyone, welcome back to the show. On today's episode, I interview Kate Barker. Kate is currently the principal of Cherry Park Elementary in Portland, Oregon. She has been an educator for the past 30 years, all in the David Douglas School District, which is located in an urban setting. Kate has spent her career dedicated to supporting and learning from her community. Now, recently, Kate, along with her co-authors, Courtney Ferrara, Rachel George, have published a brand new book titled Principled, Navigating the Leadership Learning Curve. Now, Kate shares many insights of her leading style and how she has developed an outside-the-box approach to guiding her pre-K students to help build a foundation that has set the rest of her elementary grades up to be successful. Kate definitely shines through with her wisdom and insights, and I can't wait for you to join our conversation. Hey, thanks for tuning in. Let's get started. Welcome to the Relationship Center Learning Podcast, where we put relationships at the center of all learning. I am delighted today to have Kate on the show. Welcome to the show, Kate. Thanks for having me, Kevin. I'm so thrilled to, to meet you and, and uh, be on the show. Absolutely. So, hey, just like our listeners just know, we every episode we get into connections before content. And so we do that in the flip five format, the GTKY. So, Kate, I have five simple GTKY questions for you, and then you can flip five back at me. Question number one, simple question. Do you have a nickname, a nickname or anything that, would, that you've ever had? Anybody ever give you a nickname? Sure. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm good with this. My husband calls me Chucky. He used to live in Seattle. I live in Portland, Oregon. And okay. when we were doing the long distance relationship, halfway from Portland to Seattle was the Skookumachuck River. And so it started out the nickname Skookumachuck because I'm halfway to my Skookumachuck. And then it shortened to, to, to Chucker and Chucky. I love the progression. That's a great story. I love it. Okay, question number two. If you don't karaoke, or if you do karaoke, what song would you want to sing? Oh, hands down, Don't Stop Believing by Journey. Hands down, my favorite <laughs> song. I love it that you know that. Some people are like, uh, I have to think about that one. That's awesome that you kind of just know that right off the top of your head. That's amazing. All right, question number three. Who's the Who's a person that has either made you laugh or smile this week? I would say uh, we have team meetings um, mm -hmm. almost every day with my leadership team. And I would just say we one of our, our school norms is humor. You know, we try to add in laughter and smiles and, and being a little goofy whenever we're together. So I, I would just say my team in general, my leadership team. Awesome. Question number four, when you're driving, is it quiet or are you listening to something? And if you are, what are you listening to most of the time? Always listening. Typically, I would say 80s music. I'm a child of the 80s. <laughs> I love it. All right. Last question, a little, not deeper, but just think about this. You've been teaching for over 30 years. You've been in education for over 30 years. When you look back over 30 years of education, when you think about, is there a moment that you recall 
that like if you could capture it like that feeling and that 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 experience in a bottle and like close it so that you could open it on your worst days and you it don't, you don't have to be a specific but do you have one of those moments where you think like back that you're like god if i could have captured that emotion in a bottle and i could open it up on my worst days of education because that was a highlight Gosh, there's so many in my. I know that's why I'm sorry. I'm so sorry to ask that question, but I'm really curious to know. You know, I would, I would say, and 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 it's, and it's even more meaningful now because my school is 100% in distance learning. Okay. And I would just say, being in full school wide assemblies, and clapping and supporting one another and singing together. And one particular moment just popped into my head where uh, our staff did, we practiced and we did a flash mob for our students. And it was so joyous and it was so, the kids were so excited. And it was a time where the teachers and staff just came together and, and we had so much fun. And so just so much, love and, and, and bonding and, and being together. Oh my God. So it's amazing. So as you describe that, I went back to when I was a principal at the middle school, it was a rural school, smaller school. And so we had our pep rallies and then the high school had their pep rallies, but we got really good. I, I I'm, I'm all about the pep rallies at the middle school. You know, it's just not only was it fun. I was the center of them. They got to see me be crazy and rap and do that. But the high school, I say this now, I think they made a mistake. They invited us to come have our junior high pep rally in the high school gym and let the high school watch it. Well, well, we went all out, Kate. I mean, we, I, I had one of the coaches playing the drums. I came out in a basketball jersey and I like busted this rap. We had two of the coaches like wrestle in sumo suits. Then me and uh, me and about probably 14 other my staff members, we danced to Thriller because it was October. And we just, like you said, we just really came together and showed like love and, and passion for each other. But it was, the backfire was... <laughs> is that the high school principal was like, you guys can't come back and do that. Like their high school students are like, oh my God, their pep rallies are so much better than ours, you know? And it was just like, it kind of backfired. And and so we were just like, hey, you need to like tone your pep rallies back down. And I said, we'll just go back to the junior high and have fun over there. But as you described that of cheering and supporting each other and laughing, it just brought back a great memory as that, that I would capture in a bottle and open up on my worst day. So- all right, Kate, that's my five. You got five questions, simple simple questions. Whatever you'd like to answer, I can answer okay. for you. Are you ready? Yes. All right, question number one. If you had one appliance that you could not live without, what would it be? Oh, my little toaster oven. Holy cow. It's a smart one. I don't know the brand of it. Holy cow. Got it off of Amazon. It was like 300 bucks. It is crazy. You can cook. No, but I'm, no, but I'm saying like it's smart, but you can cook pizza. You can cook cookies. You can toast in it. You can bake in it. I don't know if a day goes by that I don't use it in some form or fashion. In fact, it's crazy. I actually use it more than my big oven because it heats up faster, cooks better, those types of things. So yeah, that little sucker. Oh my God. It's a daily daily thing that I, I can't live without. Great. I don't have a toast oven. I can't, <laughs> I get to go buy one. Okay. Question number two. Yes. Uh, what was the longest line you've ever stood in and for what? Ooh, oh, let's see. God, if I'm not mistaken, Bon Jovi tickets 
San Antonio, Texas. I don't remember the year, but that line was ridiculous. And man, did it sell out fast too. But I, I remember, oh yeah, absolutely. I think between Bon Jovi and Garth Brooks, which are some of the like, two best performers I've ever seen live, you know, oh my God, yes. But I just remember because uh, Garth Brooks, Garth Brooks was probably the best concert, but I, I didn't have to stand in line. I just had to whatever, quickly do it on the internet. But I remember back, back in the day when we used to have to stand in line, you know, for concert tickets and do all that kind of stuff. Oh yeah, I remember being out there for hours. I don't think it was over overnight, but it was certainly a long period of time and a long line and kept thinking, how is everybody going to like, how are they going to have enough tickets? That was your biggest fear that you were going to get up there and they're going to be like sold out and you stood there for nothing. So yeah, great question. Okay. Number three, if you could donate money to one organization, what would it be? Donate a fellowship of Christian athletes. It's actually what I do donate to. I was a high school coach and I was able to do small group uh, like youth ministry during the day, during like lunches and things like that. And so I was able to, uh, I guess, feel like I made a connection with the kids in fellowship of Christian athletes, and then they have sports camps and all these other things. And so, yeah, um, they have been one of the, 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 the small ministries that have been on my heart for years. And so I try to support them anytime I can. Awesome. Um, what is something you would regret not doing by the end of your life? Okay, let me think about this question. What was something I would regret not doing? Mm-hmm. Let's see. I think, as I mentioned earlier, I don't, I think if, you know, the first book, because we're going to talk about your book today, but the first book I wrote was just one chapter of a, of a collaborative of them. I, I would really regret if I did not take these five years of experiences. And as I told you, first 40 episodes of the podcast and really put something so that people, because the question I get a lot, Kate, is, is like, oh my God, like when I'm presenting and talking about the passion and the content, they're like, where's that written down? I'm like, it's not, it's up here because I'm so busy traveling. I haven't done that. So the worst thing I could do is go through this pandemic and have the opportunity to actually not travel and have the time to do it and not do it. That would be the biggest kick in the butt for me is to come out of this without having something productive like that. Great. And I'm going to encourage you. I'll be your cheerleader to do it. Absolutely. Thanks. I can do it. (laughs) Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. It's been been a fantastic experience. Okay. Question number five. Yep. It's a toss up, but I think I'm going to go with What's your love language? How do you like to receive and show love? Is it acts of service, uh-huh. words of affirmation, touch, gifts, or time? It's a good one. I would say I like to receive, touch, and I like to give through acts of service. Yeah, yeah. I'm pre- I've, I've pretty much narrowed down my myself by now in, in my 50s. I'm like, yes, I think I, I think by now I've figured it out. But yeah, those, those are two things that, that I think, as I really look at it, have really driven me to where I'm at today. Like, I didn't realize how much played into that of who I am as personally and professionally. I didn't realize how much of those love languages actually play. And I don't know if you know this, do you, have you heard of the five uh, languages of apologies written by the same authors? There's five apology languages. So I haven't heard about the apology uh-huh. languages, but I know I use love languages both in my personal life and, and work life mm-hmm. because it is, it's so important and such an important part of the relationship mm-hmm. between your staff to know how do they like to be mm. 
recognized and appreciated and loved. Yeah. I use it all the time. I I wasn't aware of the forgiveness in the apology languages, but then when I looked it up, oh boy, did it click because so for example, before we're still in this part of the show, I'm all about, I started realizing I'm all about accountability. I don't even need you to say you're sorry, Kate. I need someone to own it. And then I need to hear like, Hey, I owned it. And this is what I'm going to kind of do to make sure it doesn't happen again. And I'm good with that. But then, because what's interesting under the restorative process, under the repairing harm, I started building those five uh, forgiveness languages, that those five languages of apology into the training because everybody expects that an apology or how you make it right is there's a one-way street for it. And there's actually, now that you look at it, like love languages, there's five different streets to apologize and how people need to receive apologies. So just, just, and just you know, same authors, same authors of the same book and everything, but five love languages and then the five apology languages. I'm ordering it tonight. <laughs> All right, guys. Hey, that was the GTKY part of the show. Hey, connect before content, just like we do in the classroom, we do on the show. If you want to know more about GTKY questions, you want to join our weekly circles or join our brand new RCL Facebook group, head over to rclfirst.com, click on one of the links, and they'll take you where you need to go. All right, Kate, that's out of the way. So let's just do a quick introduction of who you are, just a short 411 on who you are, and then we'll kind of jump into the book and have a great conversation about relationships and connections. Fantastic. Well, my name is Kate Barker, and I'm the proud principal of Cherry Park Elementary in Portland, Oregon, which is in the southeast uh, portion of Portland. We're in an urban setting, and my community is absolutely beautiful. It, It is incredibly diverse. We have over 28 different languages that are spoken. We have, uh, there are about 500 students, and I have the most amazing staff that uh, bring me so much pride and joy every single day for their dedication and work with our community. We have fabulous community partners that give so much to our community as well. Our families are awesome, and I absolutely love what I do. And I'm a wife, I've been married for 20, almost 27 years. I have two kids and that are uh, one's just graduated from college and one just started college. And so, and I'm also also a new author of Principled, Navigating the Leadership Learning Curve and excited to share my 30 years of education and life with, uh, with readers. Awesome. Hey, so, you know, sometimes people wait till the very end. Let's just jump right in. Let's grab that book as you had had it there. And so, you know, I was able to have Rachel on the show. And so I'm going to ask you the same type of question. Like, so as you were individually, but yet collectively putting your ideas together, what were some of the, what were some of the catalysts that brought the idea to actually go from conversation of sitting around a table to actually turning it into a book? What was some of the catalysts or thought process behind actually putting it into writing? Well, I met uh, my co-authors, Rachel George and Courtney uh, Ferreira. Uh, we both belong, well, all three of us belong to our state organization, COSA. And we have been on several planning committees. We all ended up being on the board together. And through just conversation, we found these commonalities of just this passion for for making a difference with our students. Um, But so often educators feel like they have to choose high achievement or culture. 
high achievement or love, uh, rigorous standards and joy. And what we all three commonly felt were that you have not only should you have both, you, you, we don't feel like you can do school without infusing high expectations with love and joy and fun and, and a vibrant culture. So we just found some commonalities and mm-hmm. then we were at a conference and the keynote speaker, Jessica Cabines, we were sitting around talking at dinner one night and she said, you know, you have something really unique and you all should write a book. You should, you should bind all these great ideas together and, and write a book. And so it just started with us at a coffee shop and writing down, Hey, if we were to write a book, what, what would we write? And what, what would, what would mean the most for us to share with, with others? So that's how it began. That's awesome. I love how Jessica just kind of like was listening and like she could envision, wait a minute, like you guys are a little bit outside the box and you've got some great ideas here. She saw the insight to think, okay, other people would not just her, other people would really want to hear this and that that you guys had the making of a book. And I, I think that's, that's also intriguing for the idea because us as educators, we have so much on our plates right? As, as school leaders and things that we're doing. So how did, how, how were you, how did you navigate contributing and writing the book while you were simultaneously still, you know, both feet in education? Well, I think first and foremost, my, my priority is, is being a principal and impacting my, my own community. And so it was, uh, I'm an early morning writer. And so okay. I would just get up really early on the weekends and during vacation times and, or late at night and, and spend that time writing and formulating and meeting with uh, Courtney and Rachel frequently uh, about <laughs> putting our ideas together. Yeah. The reason I say that is, and I'm curious because everybody's different. And like you said, early riser, late, I'm a late person. And so even though I could, I'm a morning person, like I don't snooze and sleep in, but my, I don't think my creative juices are ready to go that early in the morning. And so I'm kind of a night owl, you know, midnight to somewhere around there. And so, you know, as I was working as an assistant principal, and then we were still like, okay, this is a great idea. And, and I think what also gave me the flexibility is when we finally put it together, I had left and I was doing consulting. So then I realized, oh, I have a little bit more free time, but I, it was interesting. So the six other authors, we all sat in a huge, not a booth, but a place at Denny's in Austin, Texas. And we all sat there and we, and it was so crazy. And I don't know if I, again, I, I, I'm telling you, I've ordered the book. I haven't read it yet. So that's why I'm asking you this question. When, when you heard each person, we kind of proofread each other's and kind of listened to their stories and gave some ideas, you know, this wasn't the final draft, but it was like, we were trying to bring six or seven voices all together to try to tell a story. Was it difficult or was it almost seamless for the three of you to kind of put your ideas together? Just curious. Yeah, that's a, that is a really good question. We because not none of us had written the book before. We started out and then, like good educators do, we we uh, shifted and 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 changed throughout throughout the writing of the book. Um, we started off by all writing all t- 
each chapter for the first three chapters and then okay. try and put together our ideas. And, and ultimately then we, we each took like the primary role and would write one chapter and then the other two then would add in, add in their pieces. Okay. Well, what we did decide is that we wanted that delicate blend with our book of that who doesn't love a great story. Mm. So we have vignettes in each of these chapters where okay. each of us very vulnerably tell our story and about that the particular topic. And then um, and so that's that's infused. And then we we all have those practical strategies. I'm all about just, you know, give me a practical strategy that I can think about my situation and go in the next day and and implement it. So we have it, the book is chock-a-block full of practical strategies. And it it's also um, at the end of each chapter, there's an invitation to implement. So it is, it's it's one thing to read something, it's a whole other thing to be able to have that scaffold to be able to put it into practice. And so we made sure that there were graphic organizers and and essential questions that are built in that will really make the educators and the leaders think about, okay, how could I apply this in my particular setting? And so um, from there, I mean, we just, we, we kept reading and editing and adding and, and came together to, to write our book. Oh my God. That's awesome. I, I can just envision that, how that all comes together. That, I, that, that's so exciting to even from the outside to listen to that, how three minds melded together. So then two questions. One, who is this design? Who's the audience primarily? Who is your, who, who is your avatar? Who are, who are the people that you really designed this, this book for? Right. So the, the title implies that it's just for principal because mm -hmm. it's, it's called principled. Um, but actually it is it is for leaders. Okay. And so that could be a teacher leader, it could be for a coach, it could be for a district office curriculum director, it could be for a superintendent. It could be for I know that I've shared it with some people that are in the hospital industry and and HR industry because there are enough universal topics that are infused in the book. For example, how do you navigate all of those personalities? How do you have hard conversations? How do you um, really narrow your focus and go deeply with, with your goals and your objectives? How do you find mentors and, and develop those relationships? And then the, one of my favorite chapters is the last chapter, which is how do you lead with love? Mm. And how do you build those upon your strengths and, and, and surround yourself with, with a team that has different strengths than your own in order to catapult a community into greatness. Mm. Well said, well said. So then the last question I have for you is, is, is when you think about this, if there is another, let's just, because my audience is primarily, my avatar is educators, right? So mm -hmm. if you're, for educators that are hopefully listening to, or the one educator that listens to the podcast, what would be a message to them if they felt like they had some great ideas and but they were hesitant to put it in writing or to put it in a book do you have any any small advice for those people that would be on the threshold of they could be potential authors one day but there's just maybe something holding them back any any just any advice i think that 
I was probably that person. And I remember thinking, I don't know if I have enough to say. I don't know if what I have to say is that unique. I love books and I love learning and I love going to speakers, listening to speakers and presentations. And so I thought, I don't know if I could be that that person. I second guessed, am I a good enough writer? And and what what I've learned through this process is I think every educator can teach another educator something. Mm -hmm. And if you're feeling a little bit shy about, oh gosh, you know, I want to, I want to float an idea by, that's when you gather your mentors. That's where you gather, uh, gather people around you and you get feedback and, and, and you just throw out the idea. I have the most wonderful principal team Mm-hmm. And that you actually will get to work with in the next five years uh, with uh, with David Douglas School District, and they are such a uh, a beautiful group that will give give feedback and and I have an amazing boss who I floated lots of different ideas by him, and so I think you just need to gather your 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 people around you and 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 float some of your ideas by them. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe start blogging. You know, I never wrote a blog. And, and so I've just started doing, you know, just started writing uh, and just have that confidence to, to jump in and get better. Um, it is, it is a, it will be a rocky road. It is a um, exciting road, but I just encourage you to, to, to give it a go. Yeah. Why not? Life's well, short. Right. No. Well, isn't as as I'm I was listening to that because I do want I hope that there are some listeners that are on that threshold of like, ooh, you know, in in some words of encouragement or just some ideas, like you said, start small, get that group of support of people around you and feed them some ideas, get them some ideas to kind of mold and shape to kind of see. Uh, I, I'm always big on like that because I I, I like I think it's a great idea just because I think it's a great idea doesn't mean it's a great idea because all of a sudden people start poking holes and start questioning, you know, and you're like, oh, I didn't think of that perspective. So I, I love that idea, you know, as, as, as we kind of progress so they can find the book on Amazon, correct? And so yeah. that, that's the easiest place to know. And we'll definitely put that in the show notes and a link there. And so you mentioned towards the end, of, uh, was it, did you say, which one was the last chapter? Was it leading with love? or Leading or, with love. Leading with love. So let's go right there. That's a segue. So do you feel like as an administrator now, do you feel like that is one of the attributes that you do have down is leading with love on, as a, with your campus? That is my goal every single day is to lead with love. So what are, when you, you know, because interesting, my background, disciplinarian, football coach, you know, I was just, I'm in Texas. I mean, just a lot of different experiences for different for me. And I would not say I would, I would have ever considered leading with love. So when you said that, now what's interesting is now that I have, and I tell people all the time, I've slowly been transformed through this work it really does kind of chisel you. It kind of breaks down some of those, those things that have really held me back from experiencing other points of views and being a better listener and understanding leading with love. Now I can truly say, I understand what that looks like. And I would say for my team, that's what I kind of lead with. Lead with love, lead with grace, patience, forgiveness, kindness, 
all the things that we're supposed to do. But in education, it, it isn't. Do you ever find it hard in education? And I know you've been pretty much in the in the, in the same area for most of the for the 30 years, correct? So if I've been in different places, so it's easier for me to think about this. But have you ever found it hard, though, for, to when we lead with love and people are like, why would we lead with love? There's so many in their eyes. There's so many other things that are way more important in education than love. You ever kind of experienced that in your 30 years? Well, I think that it all comes back to the definition of love. Okay. And because I think that, you know, when, when, when I was a younger educator and my fabulous principles, I had such wonderful principles when I was teaching, they would say, Oh, you know, Kate, you know, you need to be cautious and, and, and maybe, maybe not give all those hugs and, you know, side hug and, and, or even saying, I love you or signing your parent letters, love Kate. And, and that's just one way you show love. And, and that is me. I'm, I'm hugging everybody. I'm, I, I shout from the rooftops. I love you. I end every staff meeting with, I love you. But I, but I recognize that's not everybody's personality or comfort level. Mm-hmm. And so, but love also comes from having really high expectations for your okay. staff and your students uh, or your athletes in your, in your case. And so it is not dumbing down curriculum because you love them enough mm-hmm. that you want them to excel in life. And so you set standards high. It is loving your staff enough to have those really high expectations so that they're, 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 they know that when you say a staff meeting starts at eight o'clock, they're there at eight o'clock. Mm-hmm. And if they're not there at eight o'clock, then you're going to have a conversation. It's having those really high expectations that if you have a school-wide focus on, on a particular discipline or like or or learning targets or questioning theories that you have enough love and respect that if that's what you're expecting that you're going to follow up and you're going to appreciate the heck out of them mm-hmm. because they're following through with what your what the expectation is of the community it's loving your community enough that you 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 know your students and what they need and and that includes academically, socially, emotionally, so that you love enough that you take the time to get to know. Yeah. So it's interesting because as you were describing that, and I started flashing through some of my leadership experiences, right? And one of the things from coaching that I even took over to leading adults, working instead of working with kids, working with adults, is I used to tell my athletes, like, look, if I'm jumping your butt, or if I'm getting after you, it's because I care. It's you need to really be worried is when I don't because when I stop talking and when I stop jumping, I I know it sounds horrible, but I've, I've kind of in my mind and in my heart, I've kind of just like, okay, he's not going to get it. And you just kind of move on to someone else. Right. And so I, as you say that, I start to reflect and I start to quickly go through a bunch of windows in my brain of like, I remember, as you said, I've had to have some crucial conversations with some adults because I cared and, and it's, but it's so interesting. I never perceived it as leading with love. Like you said, a definition of it, but now that I, now that you describe it that way, I can easily see why I said, you know what? So-and-so it's, 
you know, like you said, is being late or, or not being accountable or not following through with something. I need to have a conversation with them. And as you're, and you're right, the reason I had a conversation with that kid or with that adult is because I truly cared about them. And I wanted to see improvement and I wanted them to know that, you know, I cared about them, that, you know, I wanted to see improvement. I wanted to see change. But, and as you said, it's interesting because I will tell you when, when we, we were kind of forced to do something because we led the district with exclusionary consequences. So my second year at Ed White, all of a sudden we found ourselves leading the district Kate, with 1,149 types of suspensions. Okay. And the central office came down and said, y'all are the number one exclusionary campus. Like you got it. And that's really what pushed us to a restorative model. But what's interesting is, is prior to that, in those first two years when I was leading suspensions, I used to tell kids to kick rocks. I used to tell kids like walk home, get off. I mean, the way I spoke to them was not love, right? But that's interesting because that's not who I was and that's not why I got into education. But what's interesting is, is three years later, after I was in a restorative model, sixth grade, seventh grade, and eighth grade, and in looping up with my kids, like they were my babies, like they were my kids, right? So I didn't just get it for one year and, you know, see you next year. And I found myself literally, like some of the teachers would say, oh God, you're so soft. And I would be like, hey, if you, Kate, if you were, you know, if you made a mistake that day and let's say under student code of conduct, you had to, you, you had to be suspended. I'd be like, hey, Kate, you know what? You made a poor choice today, but you know what? I love you. And you know what? You're going to go home today. That's just part of the, you know, that's just part of our reality, but you're going to come back tomorrow and you're going to get a clean slate. And I want you to come back tomorrow and I'm going to give you a side hug and I'm going to walk you to the door and I'm going to make sure you get home safely. And like everything transformed about me. And, and some of the teachers are like, okay, I saw you five years ago. What the heck happened to you? You know? And I literally was like, but this is how it should be, right? Like, this is how. I should be with kids and it was really hard. And, and I don't know, I struggle. Here's where I struggle with administration, Kate. When I was working as a teacher and a coach, I was working for kids. Well, when I worked for adults, I was like, holy cow, this is harder. Like working for adults, as you said, they have a lot of strengths and weaknesses and I'm not putting them down. I'm saying now all of a sudden your, your target audience is adults and they have a lot of biases and beliefs and their own ideas and how things should be done. And you're, and you're trying to lead all of that chaos, right? Forget about a pandemic. Let's just talk about a regular school year. And then all of a sudden I could never please them. You know, if I was, it was like the three bears, it was either too hot or too cold, right? And, 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 and it was just such a catch 22 have you you're shaking your head but do you, do you do you understand when i say when i experienced that like i struggled really finding my footing trying to trying to i guess please all the adults yes and i think that uh i think one of the lessons leaders need to know is you're not going to please everybody amen but they didn't tell me that kate nobody yeah. told me that i'm sorry to me to cut you out but no but i'm saying amen they, they need to tell you when you get your administration that you're like, look, they're, they're all not going to like you and just, you know, but you don't think that and nobody tells you that. So it was really, and I'm a, I want to please people. I want to make people happy and, you know, really good. So That's no, right. thank you. And usually, usually we are people pleasers and we do like things to be copacetic and respectful and everybody happy. And a lot of us are really sensitive, but I also think that if you are really grounded in your why mm -hmm. and 
you are moving your community, whether that be students, staff, parents, community partners, if if you are moving them towards the uh, uh, the, the understood why, and mm-hmm. you can come back and justify why we aren't going to teach the penguin unit or mm-hmm. why we are going to shift in this direction, then then it's it's easier to support your decision. If the the time that I feel like communities don't grow as much is when your goals and your objectives and your belief system are constantly changing. Mm. And, well said. and so you know, I I'll I'll admit I was the same I'm I am I'm all about having a very very orderly, very uh, organized, very respectful community. Mm-hmm. And we, I will say, we we have we we have that at Cherry Park, but instead of having the, uh, we still have really high expectations, but we in what that we respond in a loving way so that kids can grow because mm-hmm. we know that every child's behavior has meaning behind it. And so it has a function. And mm-hmm. so it is, it goes back to the relationship and the understanding of that person in front of you. Mm-hmm. And I'll say, teachers are just big kids. Your, your assistants are just big kids principal peeps are your superintendent is they're just a big kid we all have a function for our behavior we all have we all have um objectives to doing what whatever we're doing and so the most important thing to do is to understand and know that person in front of you so that you can respond in in a way that that is going to be productive and help them to grow. So our our motto at Cherry Park is everyone's growing. And that includes me and it includes the kids and the teachers and and the parents. And so every day we try to grow. Mm-hmm. And in order to optimally grow, you need to know. Yeah. No, it's interesting you said that because I use that same line in my training. So I'm like you realize you're just big kids. Like when you, you know, if we were in person, I said, y'all would have sat in the back rows, then the wings, the brown nosers, a couple of y'all would have sat up on the front. And then the people who came in late would have been like, oh, crap, I have to sit up front now. You know, like you, you know, you're just big kids. And I said, and some of you would open up your laptop and hit Amazon or whatever you're reading. Some of you would, you know, and I said, and some of you would have been on your phone and you would have looked at your crotch every 30 seconds. And I'd have been like, what, why? So, you know, that's, I, I jokingly do that because I get a giggle, but no, I, I, I totally agree with you. And it's interesting because when we, as you just described, I try to use like the iceberg, you know, the visual of the iceberg, right? Like they're just, the tip of the iceberg out of the water is just what they're showing you, right? Mm-hmm. But as you said, what's, be, what's underneath that behavior? Yeah, absolutely. What's underneath that behavior is, is what? Like what's underneath that behavior? What's behind the meltdown? What's behind the throne chair? What's behind the tantrum? What's behind that? What's underneath the surface? And as you said, they're 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 trying to tell you something, right? And, and 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 what's interesting is I think now more than ever, we are being a little bit more patient in trying to understand that theory versus they're just a bad kid, or you know, they're just a 
that's just who they are. They're labeled, they're a troublemaker, you know, they're just not going to change and those types of things. And, and that's, that was probably for me, Kate, one of the biggest transformation mind pieces that I went through that the behaviors were simply a communication piece that they weren't able to communicate verbally. And it came out when they took, choked the chair or when they cussed you out or when they, whatever. And then when you had, and the only reason I say that Kate is because when I was having these restorative conversations and then we're having, instead of a consequence immediately, we're having a conversation. Then we're talking about accountability. Then we're talking about, well, how did it make you feel? Then all, and all of a sudden, all of that, the, the crud at the, at the bottom of the surface starts to come up and it starts to expose itself. So, but the only downside I noticed is if I'm the only one in the office handing, handling that and having that conversation, I'm the only one that gets to see the things that are bubbling up to the top, right? And so the teacher back in the classroom or the other adult or the other student, if they're not experiencing those visuals, then it's hard to come back and say, well, Kate was just doing this because of this. And then you try to explain to this, but I literally had some really powerful moments where I was like, holy cow, this makes sense. Their behavior makes sense based on these things, things. And I've tried to break it down to some teachers and some teachers have been better at listening about it than others. And some people just have made up their mind. And as you said, I come back to, and, and that's where I started recognizing if I don't have a relationship with you and a connection with you, if it's fractured or it never existed, I don't know how we're going to be successful at, academically, socially, emotionally, which is why, you know, I create, I coined the term relationship centered learning, because if we don't put relationships at the center, how in the heck is the rest of the learning going to go on? I mean, is that kind of your philosophy also, as far as your approach? Yes, it is absolutely. And so many of, I know I'm preaching to the choir, but so often when we're, when we're talking about discipline, all of our practices traditionally have been to push, if somebody does something wrong, even, even, even with adults, like we tend to push them away. And so we talk all the time about the kids that are struggling the most with socially regulation, we need to bring them closer to us. And that includes physically closer as well as emotionally closer. And so when we're talking about our interventions, we have uh, intervention for uh, behavior teams that, that meet every other week. We have a, a really group of awesome, awesome educators that sit around the table and say, and really our, our theme is how do we, how do we get to know the child better? How do we get to know their parent better or their caregiver better? And how do we bring them closer to us so that they feel a, more a part of our, our community? And something, one thing that we started doing at staff meetings is we take turns, our staff take turns. Uh, we do a couple every, every, at the beginning of every staff meeting is uh, we have student story. And so just thinking about, well, you may get to know that child a little bit better because you're the principal or you're the, the coach that's dealing with the situation, but does the, um, do the assistants that work with that child know that, do, do the te their teachers, I would hope, hopefully their teachers would, but we start those staff meetings off uh, where the teacher has a, an interview, if you will, with the student and just get, gets to know them as a person. And then we take a picture of that person or they bring in a picture of themselves. And as a staff, 
we, one student at a time, we have 500 at my school, we get to know our kids at a deeper level. And I think through knowing our people, we can, it just, it, uh, it makes the world go around. It, it makes everything easier. It does. And it makes everything better. It makes it easier and it makes it make sense because it, it, so thank you for that strategy. Cause I'm hoping the other leaders out there will listen to that and that will be a takeaway. So thank you for sharing that. As you just mentioned, we're going to sit down and we're going to do, as you say, get to know GTKY, which is why I start the show, right? Like I, once I learned this methodology, which is why I say we're so busy doing so many other things what about just GTKY? Just what about when are we just going to get to know each other? That's not surrounded an academic question. And, and I tell him, I said, we're so busy. You know, when, when, when Kate sits next to me in math class, as an example, right? I get to know Kate through the, the, the lens of math. She answers her questions. She turns her homework in. I may see her grades, you know, like I, I know who Kate is in math, but I don't know who Kate is outside of math. But and, and I may or may not like Kate in math, or I may not know Kate in math, but if we spent a couple minutes just getting to know, right, what's your favorite drink? You know, if you had a superpower or like whatever, it, and that's why some teachers are like, Kevin, these questions just seem so like, like shallow. And I'm like, they're supposed to be shallow, but they're not supposed to be this amazing, you know, grandiose idea of getting to know you. It's supposed to be simple because when we're simple, we're ordinary. And when we're ordinary, we make moments of genuine connection. And so uh, Joe Beckman, uh, he, he, I always give him credit of the first episode. He said, but unfortunately, Kevin, he said, not every teacher is like you where they're willing to go outside the box, willing to do thriller in front of the staff, right? And so he said, unfortunately, those teachers are too busy trying to be extraordinary and they're not just being ordinary. He said, and when you're ordinary, that's when you're vulnerable, but they don't like that word. It's like the word moist, you know, whatever it is, like vulnerable, vulnerable, right? And so I said, Joe, and he said, hey, Kevin, I actually have a way. And he gave me an acronym Ford, not just the vehicle, but he said, F, if they don't know how to be ordinary, give them either F-O-R-D. They can either talk about their family, an occupation, a recreation or a hobby or a dream. He was like, who in the heck can't talk about family, occupation, recreations, or dreams, right? Like every person should have one of those like built up inside of them. And it's interesting because as I was telling you earlier, out of all the episodes, it's like every time I talk to a student and I say, so what are the teachers doing different? Oh, it's when they just talk about themselves, like they rode their motorcycle or they played their guitar or whatever. And I'm like, there it is again, Kate. It's like when the teachers are ordinary, and then Dave Stewart Jr. actually, I heard him on a, uh, the Cult of Pedagogy. He talks about MGCs, Moments of Genuine Connection. That's when an MGC happens. Well, it doesn't take 20 MGCs. Sometimes it takes one. Like a kid can hear or can see you as a principal, Kate, doing something silly or get to see you at a restaurant or with your kids or something. And all of a sudden, sometimes it takes one moment of genuine connection and it changes the whole game. Would you kind of agree with that statement? I would absolutely agree with that. And something that's that we really hold dearly at Cherry Park, I've been there, the principal, 11 years, um, that it all starts with a greeting and a name. And that we take for granted that when we walk by somebody in the hallway, that 
So, you know, oh, we'll put our, we'll put our faces down. We won't make eye contact. Uh, we won't, we're not going to say hello. And oh my gosh, I, I don't even know this person's name. And so one of the things that I did as the principal is I encouraged, highly encouraged, if you pass another human being in the hallway, you need to look them in the eye. You need to make eye contact. You need to say hello and you need to say their name. Mm. And it just that simple, ordinary strategy yes. makes a difference. Parents noticed, students noticed, staff members noticed. When I, uh, when I got there, there were staff that I've, no one's ever spoken to me. And now when I go down the hallway, it's, it's oh, hello, Kate. Hello, Kevin. Hello. Yes. Uh, it just, it starts with the name. And, and as a principal, I strive with, with knowing every single person's name. And it's my like goal, like within the first month of school, I'm going to yes. learn everybody's name and how to, how to pronounce, pronounce it. it. Yes. Yeah. So, oh, Kate. So you're seeing my language now. And the reason I say this is, is because, you know, we, we, we hold a conference every year. I don't know if you know this, but actually we had a large group. I think it was 10 or 12 people from David Douglas came down to our conference. It was canceled because of the pandemic last year, but the year before Florence brought down a whole big group and I got to meet them. And then another group came to our three-day training, but at our conference, we, we made it, we call it the student connection conference. And we made a shirt and not, and I say this every human being, but we were making a, a, a valid point. Every student wants to feel valued, seen and heard. So it said, see me, hear me, value me. And on the back, it said, connect with me. Right. So what you just described does that. And it's so interesting because I have found myself, and it's intentional, but it's almost like second nature now. If I'm in line at the grocery store, right, in the cashier, right, they have a name tag, right? And I, if you, if you're, if I can see your name tag, Kate, I'm always going to use your name, and I'm always going to say, "Are those Kendra Scotts?" Or, "Oh my God, I love your nails." Or, "Hey, that's a great color in you," right? I, 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 I it's not fake. It is genuine, but I always try to use their name. If I get a waitress, the hostess, somebody, if they have a name tag on, and as you mentioned, when I go into presentations, I need to know your name because I want to say, right, Brian, right, Stacy. And all of a sudden they're like, holy crap, he's like calling on me. And I'm like, yes. And I think even if I'm going to spend one hour with you or six hours with you, knowing your name and just making that personal connection with you, as you said, even as a presenter in a short amount of time. So imagining creating that in the culture in your school, that's phenomenal. And that's another huge nugget that I'm going to put in, in, in all that stuff that I'm putting together, like you said, is how simple is that? But it goes back to the ordinary. It doesn't take time. It doesn't take money. It doesn't <laughs> take a huge amount of effort. It, 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 is, it is a simple strategy that can be applied to any situation, just like you mentioned, whether that be a grocery store or walking down the sidewalk and and it and it makes it makes an impact. It makes it makes people feel like you. I I'm I'm part of the community. Amen. And I, I am noticed. And Kevin, I have to laugh. I have not been to one of your trainings, but mm -hmm. I will get to in yeah. hopefully soon. And we have something very similar about kids. Every every human being, so mm -hmm. kids and staff. Yes. Um, are 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 heard and listened to and care and cared about. And we have to make that that point every single day 
And, and I think it really does start with the adults in the building. Mm-hmm. It helps with job satisfaction. It helps with if, if you know that somebody's going to say hello to you and really cares about how your weekend was, and I'm going to want to collaborate with that person. Correct. Well, the more collaboration, the more we're, we're, we're all moving in, this, in, the, in the same direction. And the more I want to come to work and the happier that transforms itself into, into teaching. And, and, and that equates to higher achievement. <laughs> well, and that's the part. That's what we, we exceed, even though we're, we're, uh, we have 70% of our, our families that live below the poverty line. And right. like I mentioned, incredibly diverse and a lot of trauma. And, um, it is a, it is, it is, it is an amazing community that exceeds state standards every single year. Yeah. And no, no. So, and I will and I will attest that it starts with relationships. It starts with caring. It starts with love. Yeah. And uh because I think that then sets the table for achievement. Yeah. I I, I came up with this, you know, you you mentioned earlier. I wrote my first blog and it was the rock of relationships. I said build your school on a rock of relationships instead of the sands of initiatives. And, you know, that's catchy. Yeah. So a lot, I get the same facial expression. So I was like, Ooh, I'm turning that into a blog. Um, but yes. Um, but something you go back to, and, and, and I do, I didn't want to skip over it. As you said, every human being wants to feel valued, seen and heard. And then one of the students I was interviewing teenager, she said, yes, but then that equals trust. When I feel valued, when I feel seen, when I feel heard, then I, then I can trust. And one of the things that you mentioned, if, if I could go back five years and rewind, I really would start with the staff. I would say, if you don't use these tools and if you don't connect and if you don't uh, communicate and use each other's names and making an exigent relationships, then you, one, you're not going to see the value in it. Two, you're not going to experience the culture that you're trying to, right? Because a lot of people say, come in and say, Kevin, we really want to do this. I'm like, well, what is that? Are we checking a box? Are we really being a change of sustainability? That requires intentionality. That requires, and so it's so interesting five years later now, when I typically go to a campus, Kate, I say, hey, before I even speak today, I need you as the principal to put a frame around why are, why are me or my staff here today? Hey, Kevin and his team is here today because as you just mentioned, we're about relationships and connections and love. And we, and we believe that we, it starts with us. And here's the deal. I always said this phrase, it's called power and permission, Kate. One thing, it, it, it's almost sometimes we think it's inferred in leadership, but it's much more powerful when it's deliberately said, and I'm going to support you in these tools. I'm going to support you in this. Call. And, and as you said, however you want to read between the lines, it's going to be expected, right? So then what happens is, is you're like, okay, so our leader expects us to connect with each other. No, our leader expects us when we walk down the hallway that we have to, we, we don't pass by, you know, it's almost like the kid, like, did you just walk by me and not say something to me? Right. You didn't know, like, Hey, the only reason I'm calling yet is because I care. I'm being facetious, but you know, it's, it's, it's when you put that expectation and you give them permission and expectations. And as you said, higher expectations that this is what we're going to do. Then the staff starts to change and the culture change. And then it just transcends down to the kids because Trevor Taylor, he, 
even he was a high school teacher. But what he said, Kevin, is think about it. And he teaches mostly freshmen. He said, how many freshmen walk into the class going, God, I, you know, I can't wait to build a relationship with my teacher. And they walk in going, OK, who is this? You know, what is it going to be like? What's their personality? Whatever. He goes, it all starts with us. It all starts with the adults. We have to cross the threshold of getting to know you and showing you that we care, whatever. And then they'll reciprocate back. But it's those educators that we're either taught, don't smile till after Christmas. And, you know, we don't, we don't cross that threshold. You know, I mean, I'm using all the, the little quotes that we've been used over the years, but it's those teachers that won't cross the threshold and say, it's not my responsibility. And then you wonder why the teacher right next door is having so much more success because what they're saying is it's my job as the adult to model connections, relationships, love, empathy, grace, all those things. I think the kids want to give it back. I think they're like, they're, they're, they just, they, they're waiting, which is interesting because when I went from the high school, Kate, I went from the high school to the elementary in 72 hours, Friday night, I'm coaching football on Monday morning. I'm an AP at an elementary. Okay. I'm just telling you, you talk about a huge different shift. From 15 to 18 year olds to five to eight year olds, they were like, in, y'all were like inside voices. I'm like, what the heck's an inside voice, right? Y'all were bubbles. I was like, what's the bubble? And then they got tails. And then I'm like, the kids walk everywhere. I mean, it was a total mind shift, right? But what I started to notice, man, I was like a super rock star. I'd walk into a classroom, Mr. Curtis. Oh my God. I get these knee hugs and high fives and what? I was at the grocery store and they're like, Oh my God, he's at the grocery store. I thought I was the paparazzi, right? Kate, you know, it was just at the high school. You didn't get that crap. They're like, Hey, what's up coach. You know what I mean? And, and so I think particularly at that group, they want to love, they want to reciprocate all that. And at your level, if you're not, I think you're going to struggle. So I, I totally agree with you. It starts at the top and then it's that trickle down effect. But I agree. It starts with you and then it really starts with the staff and then it really goes down to the kids. So I, I, I definitely now I understand and I've seen the impact of that. So I truly, truly understand it starts with the adults. And, and it really starts with the leader of the building. And so it is one thing to tell all of your teachers Whatever, whatever it would be like, but it's a whole other thing for them to see you as the leader modeling what you expect. And in order to model what you expect, you have to get out of that darn office. You have to leave the office. You have to be at those front doors. You have to be at those lunch periods. You have to be in every classroom. And I, I make it a goal. Every, this is my goal every day is to be in every classroom every day. Right. And now it doesn't always happen because Absolutely. that would be, we have other things that are going on, but we have, we have got to get out of our office so that we can be visible so that we can show our expectation for building relationships and, and, uh, and can, and connections and, so when it comes down to having conversations and making decisions about how a school is run or what curriculum do we use or what strategies do we need to boost up or, or do we identify a kiddo for special education, we know because we've been visible. And that is, that's a big part of our book is that not everybody's the same. Not everybody's going to be doing cartwheels and roller skating down the hallway. Right. 
which I would highly recommend. But <laughs> I'm with you. Um, um, and we have this awesome ramp that that's great for for roller skating. But I digress. It's it. You have to do it your own way. You can't be Kevin Curtis. You can't be Kate Barker. You can't. We wouldn't want you to be. And I think we f- kind of fall into the pit, especially because we there all are all of these great podcasts and social media uh, is in our face all the time. So we see all of these these amazing people, and I, I fall I fall to that. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, I wish I could. Oh, I wish I could. Oh, I w-, you know, and and at the end of the day, you have to be your authentic self. You have to you have to know your strengths. You have to know what you're, um, what you're comfortable with. Mm -hmm. And then you have to press it a little bit and you have to, you have to, um, people can see through if you're being fake, they're going to see through if this isn't an, if this isn't natural, but so think about how you can build relationships and show your love in your way. Yes. And, and it, and it may be different and that's okay. We want it to be different. I can't wait to, because listen, Kate, it is so funny because um, I talked. We talked with Florence yesterday, and I know you guys are waiting to hear with the shutdown and the mayor, you know, all the things or whatever's going on. But it's so funny is is I think she wants to flip it and instead of doing the high schools, she wants to do the elementaries. So here's the deal: we'll eventually be coming to your campus, and you will be part of our training. But I laugh because everything that you just said is almost word for word, almost on slides. In other words, the first the first 90 minutes is our intro. And at the end, it says, build relationships by being you. Oh, Don't be me. Yeah. Don't be, no, that's what's so I'm laughing. I'm like, so you, you're you just like, you're so insightful. You and, and no, actually what it does, it affirms me that the message that we're preaching and teaching is right on. Because with your experience and what you're saying, I, 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 that's what I'm saying. It's not rocket science. It really is simply, but by understanding, you got to be you. And however that is, that's why when Joe Beckman gave us that whole forward thing, he was like, hey, Kevin, not everybody's going to do Thriller. Not everybody's going to be. And I said, well, you're right. But I've never really, I'm not them and I'm not standing in their shoes. So I don't know how to get them to move the needle, how to get them to be you without individualized support, coaching, those types of things, you know? Um, so I have a, you've, you've, before we wrap up, you've alluded to a lot of things that are going on at Cherry Park, but I did want, I, I've had this question and you may have already like given all your secrets out, but is there anything else that you want to share with us that you feel like sits, like you guys do something that stands out at Cherry Park that you haven't talked about yet? Well, I would say there are a couple of couple of things, depending on how much time we have. Um, well, no, I mean, I just want you to hit him. So just, you know, just go over a couple of, if, or one or two, I don't want to take up your time. But in other words, I just, you've kind of given us so many nuggets, but in my back of my mind, I've had this question, like, is what, do you, what else do you do at Cherry Park? And you keep bringing them out. So I don't want to, I don't want to keep digging in the bucket, but I just, was there anything else that you would like to share with us before we close out today that you kind of do at Sherry Park that you'd like to celebrate that you feel makes you and your staff stand out? Well, I would say two different things. Number one, one, we're all about systems and structures. And that is systems, multi-tiered systems of support for academics, for behavior, and for social. And so often people will have a beautiful protocols for academics, reading, math, writing, which we, I will be very proud to say we do. We, you know, we have, we have core instruction. We have our 
interventions. We have we have a beautiful system for both academics and and for behavior. Some some components that a lot of people don't think about are the social components. And what we were noticing is we when kids were coming coming into Cherry Park, they were coming with significant deficits, and that was academic behavior. And they just, they came in with very little social skills and social connections. And what we found was that most of our, most of our referrals were at the kindergarten level. We were not, or at first grade level. And our teachers were getting really frustrated because they'd have these brilliantly planned lessons and that, you know, kids were blown out. They, you know, they couldn't make it through a lesson. And so I've always been a huge proponent of preschool and, and starting them early. And so uh, I begged and begged and begged um, and finally went together with some beautiful partnerships. We were able to start a preschool. Mm. And, but the thing about our preschool is it is non-academic. Okay. It is, it is all about social. Social. Yes. It is all about how do we make everything more social? How do we get kids to talk with one another and connect with one another? And um, one of the strategies we have, we have a whole bunch of them, but one of the strategies that I think is the most powerful is that we teach the kids, and they're three, three and four-year-olds, mm -hmm. we teach the kids to be the coaches. And so if somebody's having a hard time, it's not the teacher that comes and intervenes with the kiddo. It's the student. And so we coach the three-year-olds and the four-year-olds that if somebody's having, doesn't want to come to carpet or doesn't want to go and go to the table for table time or is having a difficult time, we teach the child how to intervene and how to work together to problem solve. Because what we know is that a kids listen to peers. That's like one of their number one things. And the teacher doesn't move up the grade levels with the with the students, the peers do. So much like you were talking about, Kevin, about how, what a beautiful thing looping is and moving up the grade levels. I, I had was privileged to do that for, with fourth and fifth graders. What we have to do is we have to teach our kids to be, to be, to, to be that coach and that support and that advocate for all of our kids moving up. And what it has done is it's transformed. Um, we're 100% inclusive. And so it has just created such a beautiful bond between all of our students. We, we, like I mentioned, we have significant diversity and it's, it is just such a, um, a wonderful thing to see kids supporting kids and bonding with kids and being social with kids. And if somebody is not playing with somebody, we teach them how to bring somebody else in so they're never alone. Because what we know is that I think a big part of our society's issues are people are feeling isolated. They don't feel connected and they're, they're, they're feeling alone. And our goal is that there is never a child that is feeling that they don't belong. And so our whole preschool, and then we've, we've replicated our preschool strategies throughout the grade levels now. Mm -hmm. And as they've traveled up the grade levels, to include um, that 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 the this explicit teaching of social skills connection and um, and that intervention of using using your students to uh, there's so much power behind the peers.
Wow. Wow. You know, it's so funny because I only spent two years at the elementary, but I tell people all the time, having spent the two years there gave me the, the most well-rounded experience I could have in education being at all three levels. I, I, I would not be the same person who I am today if I had not experienced what it was like to be at the elementary, because I was able to see, as you said, not pre pre school, you know, but I was able to see from pre I get pre K yes. Pre K to five. I was able to see like the foundation of where I was teaching at the high school, where it all starts from as you, as we, you know, it was having a little bit of fun, but you teaching them to walk on the right side, teaching them voice levels, teaching them to respect. But, but what's so interesting is that I kind of glazed over it, but now that you mention it, teaching them the social interactions and those cues and all those things at an early age, because I've heard, I cannot tell you countless people, particularly at kinder and first that have told me in early childhood, like we have a huge problem with kids kicking, biting, fighting, you know, all the different things. And it's all social, as you said. And so to take, I love the strategy because you took a proactive approach instead of a, re a reactive or responsive approach to that and said, why don't we start early? But at that early age, I, I think that uh, I applaud you because for anything in education to not be surrounded by content or curriculum nowadays is definitely outside the box. So thank you for sharing that. That that is that is something for that you've you, you've left me pondering. And how can people get a hold of you? Like if they want to ask questions, or, or what's the best way for other you know for listeners to reach out to you? Uh, first of all, I want to say I am all. What is mine is yours, and and that is I am I am so excited to share share whatever people need in order to be successful and to propel our propel our students. And so I'm on Twitter. I'm on Kate underscore S underscore Barker. And so you can DM me and I'd love to connect that way. Also feel free. I'm I'm fine if you um connect with I'll I can maybe leave you my website address. Absolutely. And, you can just and, call it out and we'll put it in the show notes. And so what is email. it? So I'll get that to you. Okay, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, yeah, get that to me. But the reason I say that is- Since this isn't going to be edited out. So I'm just now, I just am now creating it. I'm, I mean, I'm like this close to being done. Oh. So I just, I just want to make sure that it's done before I shout it out. Absolutely. But, but the, the other way that you can get a hold of me is feel free to email me just at principalkatebarker at gmail.com. Oh, love it. Love it. Awesome. Okay. Well, Kate, listen, you have been an amazing guest. You have, what I love about the conversation today is you got my wheels spinning. I, I like that. I, the juices are going, wheels are spinning. You've dropped a bunch of nuggets for me to consider and add to. As I told you, so many amazing educators that give me so many things to think about and consider on just not how we connect, um, but why we connect and the things surrounding that. Um, congratulations on the book. You. Um, you're welcome. And I wish you all the success with the book. And what I also really appreciate about you is not everybody, and I'm just saying this is my experience, is as open as you are like, hey, what's mine is yours. I want to help you. And I think to me, that says a lot about who you are as a person, but also as an educator, because I think 
that's what we should do. We should collaborate. We should support each other. We should, I think all great lessons were all been begged, barred or stealed or stolen from somewhere else before anyways, sure. right? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I take very little credit. You know, I will tell you from like Brene Brown says, I'm not trying to be right. I'm trying to get it right. And I think Love that. that's, that quote is, is summarizing like what I'm trying to do different. I'm not, I don't, I don't want to be right. I don't want to be an expert. I tell people all the time, I don't have any problem with a doctorate, but I didn't go for a doctorate, Kate. And I'm really glad I didn't. I was actually in a second master's in Christian ministry. I thought it was going to be a youth pastor, but I like when I show up virtually or in person now, I like being Mr. Curtis because Dr. Curtis, sometimes for, for some of those educators, they're like, oh, he's a doctor. And I say that with respect, but you, I think people get it. I don't mean it to be disrespectful, but I like in, when you're in the relationship and connection business, I think being Mr. Curtis is being general, being authentic and genuine. And what I've taken away from you just in this one hour conversation, Kate, I don't think it gets more genuine and authentic than you. Oh, thank you, Mr. Curtis. <laughs> I love it. All right, Kate, I know I've, I've taken enough of your time. I want to thank you for being on this show. I can't wait to hear this more success on the books. And I can't wait to connect with you once we get uh, going in the David Douglas School District. It has been an absolute pleasure. And I feel like I made a new friend this last Absolutely. Now, I will tell you that. Yes. So I will tell you that, you know, I'm here for you. I don't know how much more value I can add because you are killing it and rocking it. But if you do ever need anything, I truly mean that I am in your corner too. I'm just a question, an email text away, whatever it is. I I, I, I may not know the answer, but I will tell you that I, I am going to tell you this. The people that have said, Kevin, what do we do with the early childhood behavior? I am going to share your story. And I might be pointing them to you and say, hey, talk to her. It, she has the experience in, in, the, in the background and the data to tell you where it's all at. So I do think you've actually given me an, not an answer, but a response when, because a lot of behavior questions I get. And they're like, so what do we do with early childhood? Because they're kicking and biting and blah, blah, blah. And, I'm like, and, and again, I just think it's something to think about. And that's what you've really given us is like so many different things to think about. So thanks for that, Kate. I really appreciate yeah, it. You betcha. And we frequently do presentations on, on our practices and mm. have visitors come to our school in when before pandemic. I was going to say, when it's safe, I get it. When it's safe. And and so if anybody is interested in doing something virtually, we can certainly do that. And again, it's 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 all about the strategies and and I'm happy to share. Absolutely. Hey Kate, it was great connecting with you. For our listeners, I will connect with you next time. 